0: you are, wherever you are, whatever you might be doing, I wish to thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show with your host, Jeff Williams. Well, everyone's recovering from this spectacle that was the Super Bowl last Sunday, and the whole world media gave its whole attention to that event. And because everyone was focused on that, once again giving the Super Bowl their energy, a few headlines managed to sneak by. That's the way they like to work. Put a big distraction up in one place, and then let things slide through while people are overcome by overstipulation. It's been that way for a long time. Two days before the tragic events of 9-11, It was discovered that the Pentagon had a $3 billion irregularity, by which I mean they lost $3 billion. Poof, $3 billion, gone into thin air. And then magically, two days later, we suffer a terrorist attack that affects all of North America, Europe, and indeed the world. Little events are forgotten after such major events, and the Super Bowl is used to camouflage major events. Just before the Super Bowl, General Robert Neller, who's a Marine commander in Norway, told his troops that they were in the line of fire for a future war. His exact words were, I'm hoping wrong, but there's a war coming. And I'm not just making that up out of thin air. This was actually quoted from the Washington Post. So I'm not pulling this out of the National Enquirer, this is a magazine of some repute. Now who would be the foe faced by the marines in such a northern country? It's not like the Vikings are still around to be raiding the villages. Um the Russians, while there's currently a bit of tension there, they certainly have no particular interest in attacking a NATO country, and while ISIS claims it wants to have global domination, their forces are nowhere near strong or powerful enough. But yet General Robert Neller was insistent that there is going to be a war. He hopes he's wrong, but it's coming. So we have rumors of war in the air. Someone out there, probably in Europe, wants there to be a war. The USA is constantly at war, and China, with its meddling about in the South China Sea, seems to want to provoke one. But there is a war that is going on that consistently makes headlines, although never the big ones. And it's one of the most confusing worse to anyone who's been following it. That's Libya. Libya's had a civil war with itself since 2014. Now this is back when Muhammad Gaddafi was, I don't know whether you'd call that an assassination or a revolt, but whatever the case is, his head is no longer attached to his body. Now while typically w- w- wars in the Middle East and the the levant in general are justified by saying oh that's all because of oil in this case that does not seem to be the problem oil is never really the answer it's a euphemism to the public see if oil was the answer libya is full of black gold and you would think the united states russia or china would want to move in and secure that resource but at the moment, the U.S. has not, does not even have an embassy in Libya, much less any troops. It is completely disinterested in Libya. And this is rather confusing for people who say, oh, no blood for oil. Yes, I do agree with the sentiment we should not be sending our troops to protect oil. But Libya, a country whose major export officially is oil... Is completely off the map as far as the world's militaries are concerned. There is a plan to establish an embassy in Libya by the United States and send 50 soldiers. That's right, five zero soldiers. Not the thousands deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan or the various other places where men and women are dying, both from the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom. Australia, and many other pl- many other countries. But in Libya, there's a very, very schizophrenic situation. There's two groups at work. There's the Tobruk government, who you might call the rebels, if you want to divide things along such lines. And then there's the former Muammar Gaddafi's friends and supporters. And they're the ones who are busy committing atrocities. And there's one particularly terrible atrocity that I would love to call your mind to today. Libya is one of the major traffickers of humans. Now What do I mean by that? Without mincing words, they sell slaves. They buy slaves, they sell slaves, they get slaves where you want the slaves to be. And that means people are bought and sold with no rights or free will. The black market there has gotten so bad, it has received United Nations condemnation. But still, for some reason, the United States and Russia and other dominant powers never bother with it, despite the fact that either one could easily intervene with massive force and put things right. But the real problem is, neither government wants to end the slave trade in Libya, because they don't have an interest in, in ending it. Now, to be clear, Libya is by no means the only country that has human slaves, but the way it gets it, out, it gets the slaves in and out of the country very closely mirrors the Nazi rat lines, the Odessa Der Spin that we talked about last week. You see, right Reuters, <laughs> I can never pronounce it. Reuters R E U T E R S just for my poor pronunciation, has reported that the armed groups in Libya are the ones who are involved in human smuggling, and they have international links to other countries, and their intermediaries are Libya's official security institutions. Now, the armed militants in Libya are not just native Libyans. Oh no, Libya has proven a very profitable market for mercenaries, for military people, anyone who wants to carve out their own little empire. The two governments that officially are colliding, are not the only power structures. There are many warlords in Libya, almost as bad as it is in Afghanistan, but each one of them has their own interest in human traffic, whether it be to get rid of their enemies or simply to raise funds. Whatever it is, they're willing to get you your slave when you want it, how you want it. and We all know about the migrant problem Europe has been facing. By sea, it's relatively easy to pass from Libya to Italy. In World War II, that was actually one of the invasion routes that was followed, precisely because it was seen as the most utilitarian way. And by the exact same way, The Libyans who seek to traffic humans across use the exact same route. Italy also offers a very, very significant advantage in that it's the home of the Vatican. Now we'll come back to the Vatican in a moment, because we'll look temporarily at the difference between the elite, who of course are not coming across as slaves, they come across on their their yachts and their planes, and the average person who just simply wants to get out. The average person comes across like a refugee. They're crammed in the hold of a cargo ship. They're smuggled in by various means. They basically are shoved into a foreign country and told, now, you owe us this debt, pay it off. And families are willing to send their, their people abroad. Their sons, their daughters, whoever it is they think might be of interest. And either they're put into factories, but slave labor wages, by which I mean pennies per hour, and every day they work, if they eat, oh, they're charged for their food. They're charged for their accommodation. And, of course, there's interest on the money that they owe to the criminal organization that smuggled them over. So even though it might not officially be called slavery, in effect it is. We call them sweatshops. Realistically, they're slave labor camps. But the elite, they hop on their yacht or their personal plane, fly to any particular country they have an interest in, flash their passport, and voila, they're done. Now, Libya is a nominally Muslim country, and I say nominally not to cause offense to the Muslims, but because there's other groups who are there, um, Christians, Jews, Baha'i, other faiths are still present in the, in the country, but they've been suffering severe persecution. The armed groups that run the slave labor trade know this. If they kidnapped a Muslim girl from a local from a local businessman, they will face severe repercussions. But the police will be less interested in the, the Christian, the Baha'i, the, the person who might actually be an atheist in Libya. They're not going to bat an eye to see one of the, one more of them disappear. One less person to look after. And also, from the 1960s to the 1990s, Libya was firmly allied with the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union, of course, was extremely, extremely intolerant of religion. Not to the effect of persecution, but they just wanted their way to make sure religion was not emphasized. As Karl Marx dictated, religion is the opiate of the masses. Libya had much the same idea, except they simply promoted Islam as their primary religion. Again, No judgment on Islam or anything else, and that is the way Libya was being run. But after the Soviet Union's collapse, Libya had to bring their regime into alignment with a more Western mindset. They're no longer allowed to persecute the minority religions. They had to show nominal tolerance. But that doesn't mean Libya was ever an ally or in in any way bought into the Western way of life. Muammar Gaddafi did show signs of reconciliation to the West towards the end of his life. But after they found him dead, any ideas he might have had were lost to the sands of history. Now right now, Libya is a great place for international business. Yes, there's a threat of violence to anyone who might dare to venture there, but the potential is enough to outweigh the risk for many people. Again, slave labor, sweatshops, and anything that you might want is there for the right price. For those with mafia ties, or even higher ties like the criminal globalist elite or the Illuminati, their risk would be minimal, and the potential profits are huge. If you'll you'll notice, at no time did I ever say that this free market in Libya, the black market, is good for the people. It's quite the opposite. See, the black market really is completely unrestrained capitalism. Laissez-faire capitalism writ large. Anything can be bought, anything can be sold, so long as the price is right. And usually, it's the best deal both sides can make. Unrestrained capitalism especially in areas that are completely unregulated, it's one of the worst things for the common person. While while a business does indeed have benefits for the economy, and capitalism does have the ability to generate good and fantastic profits, the fact is capitalism, left to its own devices, has never resulted well for the common person. The elite and the wealthy always gain, but the common person not so much. You see, back in the late 1800s when labor unions were not allowed and the government had no interest in regulating what businesses were doing, it was a very rare owner who actually gave enough of an interest about their own employees to say, hmm, I need to take care of them. Quite the opposite. The labor was there to be exploited. One of the more tragic stories that I remember and this is leading up to World War I it was a young delivery boy he was, used to deliver bread for the local baker and one day he showed up late for work because his mother was giving birth and his father needed help so he showed up late for work the baker said to him well son you're terminated and not only that I'm fining you two weeks back pay to cover the costs of hiring a new delivery boy. This is the exact thing that happens when there are no regulations on businesses. Corporations are considered individual entities. They have the same rights as a person, but they seem to have fewer responsibilities. As a person, you can be drafted and sent by your country off to war. A corporation, not so much. A corporation is there to maximize its profits. It has no interest other than that. Um, China, for example, has the Apple factories. Apple being the famous computer company, which I'm sure I don't need to introduce to any of my listeners. And conditions there are so sparse, so horrific, they have to erect suicide nets to prevent their workers from hurling themselves to their own deaths. And that's because the company has complete control over their lives. Now when you think about it, it's not very different over here. I, I pray the place that you work doesn't have suicide nets to catch you in the event that you've decided to end your life. But we realistically have transitioned since the 1970s to a very different economy. If you look online, there are plenty of graphs that will show you that your productivity has increased exponentially while your rate of remuneration, your salary, has only gone up mathematically. This means you are 10 to 40 to 70 times more efficient than the same worker would be in the 1970s, but you're not paid anywhere near as well as that worker. The reason for that was the so-called miracle of computers and technology. For those of you about my age, perhaps older, you might remember the great luxuries that we were promised. Oh, when computers and robotics reach this magical threshold where everyone's going to have so much leisure time, it's going to become a service economy. People will be looking for services. They won't need manufacturing. They won't need anything. They'll be looking for ways to pass their time. Unfortunately, that didn't come true. We still work the same amount as we did in the 1970s, if not more. And, as I said, we are working much harder. So where did this leisure time go? When you think about it, the day is divided into three parts, for those of us that are fully employed. You're going to have roughly eight hours of sleep, roughly eight hours of work, depending on your particular situation, so the remaining eight hours is your entire life. So imagine that remaining eight hours involves your travel time to and from work. So if you drive a half hour to work, you're now down to seven hours of personal time. At some point during that time, you're going to eat. So let's assume it takes you an hour to eat your three meals, you're now down to six hours of your personal time. This is why the day seems to go by, and you never seem to accomplish everything, anything. Because you wake up, you have to shower, shave, do your hair, whatever it is that you might do. And that, again, takes more time out of your day. If you have a family, you have to take care of them. If you're alone, you might have other responsibilities, such as cutting a, cutting a lawn, doing errands, running, of course, everyone has to go grocery shopping. This all takes time, and you eventually whittle your free time down to nothing. And the same time, your workplace demands more and more and more. Instead of having the massive amounts of workers that they had in the 1970s, corporations have cut to the bone. Everything is minimal. So let's pretend for a second you work at a 24-hour business. Your company probably has three people trained to do your job. One from, say, 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock at night. One for the midnights from 4 o'clock to midnight. And one morning shift guy who works from 12 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock in the 8 o'clock in the morning. And the three of you are expected to keep things going. But what happens when one of you gets sick? The better corporations have a plan in place and there's somebody there to back up. But if they don't, you're going to have to not only finish your responsibilities, but the other person's as well. And that's the other part to modern corporations. You don't think you're a slave, but most people out there are not simple punch-clock workers. You have certain responsibilities that absolutely must be done in a given day. And if they're not done, you can't just leave. Even if you're not feeling well, whether you have an appointment, what it may be, you must stay until those responsibilities are completed. Your checklist is finished, or there's a darn good reason why you couldn't do something. So, you're not a slave, but the same token, you must meet the criteria dictated by your corporate masters. Otherwise, you're going to get written up. Yes, you will get disciplined. It might not quite be the whip that th- slaves in ancient times would get, but a few of those write-ups, you're going to be on the road looking for another job with an employer who said, huh, they failed to do their duties. So you're not exactly a slave, but you are still working your tail end off for table scraps from, the, from their Illuminati masters. And this is not only true for here, but it's also true for Libya, and indeed North Korea and several other places. See, the problem is, big business cares nothing for the welfare of its workers, and the criminal multinational globalist corporations need to worry about their bottom line, rather than if Timmy the janitor can pay for his medication this month. When it comes down to the government, again, coming back to them, they are completely in collusion with big business. And indeed, the governments are very aware of the slave trade in Libya. Again, the United Nations has declared it a a scourge. They've they've noticed the problem. And most nations are aware of everything that the United Nations says and does. The problem is... You, myself, the slaves in Libya, all of us people, not in the upper percentages, and not in the Illuminati, we don't have quite the same ability to sway the laws and the government to our side. Companies who have such massive profits have a proportionally bigger influence on the politicians. Even though they're supposedly one entity, any given corporation can easily sway more than Ten of us, a hundred of us, a thousand of us can, because with a little bribe here, a little free fact-finding trip donated to the right politician, they could get legislation introduced that makes the government see things their way. The United States, they have certain states that are called right to work. And while this sounds promising, hey, I should have a right to work if I want to, it is quite the opposite. I should probably devote an entire show to that. So we'll come back to that another day. But companies themselves have so much control over you, not only during your working hours, but even during your private hours. How many people out there have phones that they must answer if somebody from their company calls? And at work, they will limit your personal freedoms. You have a personal cell phone, you have an internet account, I'm sure most of the people out there listening have Facebook or Twitter or something to the effect and most corporations have some sort of regulation that says personal media is not allowed you're not allowed to check your cell phone you're not allowed to check your Facebook personally, I wouldn't recommend doing that at work as a matter of fact but the fact is, while you're there you're completely under your corporation's control whoever you work for and where countries where workers are not protected instead of us where we work hard to supposedly get ahead these other people where they're not protected workers work hard to save their own skins Libya and in North Korea other, these pe- people are very easily exploited and it's very difficult to assume you'll have a stable working environment today your boss might be the local Mafia Lord, and tomorrow it might be a Warlord that came in and say, you're no longer in control here, I am. Those That would be a low-level interaction. When it gets into the Illuminati, power trades back and forth, and you don't even know that it had to anything to do with you. It's seamless. It is, pu- it is so perfectly transparent that you don't notice it unless you read the press as carefully as possible. And coming back to Libya and North Korea and several other places, the sex trade that goes on is horrifying. People are offered jobs in foreign countries, and they're set up to go there. They get a passport, a visa, and then they're sent into the sex trade or the previous mentioned sweatshops. Sex slavery is possibly one of the worst offenses that I can imagine against humanity. Persons sacrificing their dignity simply because they wanted to escape a war zone. This, again, this is not this is not for the elite. This is for you and I. If we had to escape we would have trouble finding a way to do it at this exact moment, and we might have to go to an underground boss, a mafia kingpin in order to say, hey, is there some way you can get me to the Seychelles, to wherever it is away from my current address because they're revolting in the streets. And oh, yes, they will, but for the price that they name. One of the most unwitting people involved in this, or not really people, but persons, is the church. You see, the Vatican City, since the 1940s at least, has had a very, very, very open policy about who it will give a passport and a visa to. Now, originally this started with good intentions, as everything does, with so many Jewish people attempting to flee Europe... The Vatican chose not to ask many questions and just simply hand them away. And a Vatican passport is is recognized by 127 out of 198 countries in the world. That's almost 70% where if you have a Vatican passport, you can walk in without a visa or they will process your visa on the spot. Unlike most countries where you have to have a visa before you go in, a Vatican City passport, gives you carte blanche to go anywhere you want. And, again, the church itself, its goals are laudable. There are many people who are in horrific circumstances, and they're just trying to facilitate their ability to get away. However, in the chaos, and the fact that people are bribable, even church officials, Vatican passports do have a dark underground. The church has always been, always been noble and intense, but er, sorry, intent. But they do since in the 1400s. They've always been willing to sell indulgences. This is actually what call, caused Martin Luther to revolt against them, saying the church is corrupt for selling your emotional soul or your freedom in the modern day, in return for money. And he was right. The church shouldn't be in that business. But the fact is, they are. This is exactly how the a migrant, a mafia boss, or a World War II Nazi could show up to Vatican City and ta- obtain a document that specifically gives them the Pope's blessing to travel freely. That's right, a Vatican passport is a direct sanction from the Pope saying, this child of mine has my blessing to go anywhere. So, it might be a hard-working family citizen, or it might be someone with more sinister motives. We like, we like to think that most people are good. And in fact, I would say 80 to 90% of people are good at heart. And most people would like to stay at home, but they don't notice when their rights are whittled away little by little. It might be something as drastic as a declaration of war, Or it could just simply be, we're tightening the amount of hours that you can work. Oh, yes, they tighten the amount of hours, but they take away a break. They take away, you know, oversight of what's happening. They overload their ombudsman, the person who's supposed to overlook the industry, so they can no longer effectively do their job. Now, this paints a bleak picture for us because our productivity is going up. Our salaries are not going up, and indeed, our freedoms are being chipped away at. But I will offer you a little ray of sunshine. See, Russia has already descended into hell within living memory, and has managed to mostly rebuild. In 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, everything everything went to hell. People rubles were worth nothing but people still went to work they did their jobs they did what they could and that's because the russians have been through that before in 1917 to the 1920s they were in a civil war and their grandparents had always warned them be ready and the russians would keep home gardens they would keep extra water they would keep things just in case the government wasn't there and it took about 10 years and a lot of Drama to go from Gorbachev to Yeltsin to Putin but now Russia is finally back on stable footing but remember it took almost 10-20 years to get them back on track so what you need to do is learn from the Russians you should have a little bit of extra food you can even take a bit of space in your kitchen if you have so much of a window and grow some potted herbs some potted plants You can store water. There's many ways to do that. I won't even start to describe them. A simple search online will help you out with that. But having those two resources available will allow you to survive no matter what's going on outside and give you a little bit better of a chance should, God forbid, things erupt into chaos through war, through natural disaster, or simply because people have had enough. Now, I always say take the peaceful route because, as I said, there's soldiers in Norway preparing for war. When it comes down to it, you can't defend your home with guns because the government has bombers, special forces, and nuclear weapons. What is your gun going to do about that? Also, the government tends to place soldiers away from their hometowns so that, you know, Bob the soldier doesn't run across Tariq who he knew from high school and say, hey, why am I shooting this fella? No, they purposely move them to different cities, so when the soldiers come to your town they will be people you do not know. So again, for your own safety, to avoid the conflicts, and to keep yourself safe from the horrifying idea that Libya and North Korea are going through, where People are being sold. There's a black market in human slaves. Keep yourself independent. Stay as healthy as possible. Be able to grow your own food, even in minute quantities. And remember, the Russians do keep going. No matter who's in charge, they still have the ability to survive. Now, thank you once again for tuning in to just another conspiracy show. Uh, As usual... My book, book, The Secrets of Solomon, is available on Amazon Kindle now, and on March 1st, Cemetery Island is going to be published. It is a book about a troubled youth who, through no fault of his own, winds up in the care of a psychiatric institution where things go on that would horrify the average person once again thank you for listening thanks to Pipe Choir for their theme song as always stand up the message is always there thanks to A View From Space Facebook group for their continued support thanks to Spooky Weird and Cool for their continued support and thank you for bringing me into your home and listening to me once again have a good day, good evening and thank you